This is LaQuest, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hi, everybody. I'm Don Andrews with LaQuest. With me today is our social media director, Lauren Macias. Hi, Lauren. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So two of the Assembly Democrats are Isaac Bryan and Mark Berman. They're both very well schooled on everything about elections and recalls and voting rights. And we got a chance to tag along as they went to talk to the state's top election official. So we got to listen in on their conversation with Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Weber, and the stage was set in her Oval Office. It was a really cool room. It was. It was super interesting to listen in. So let's check it out. Hi, I'm Assemblymember Isaac Bryan, Chair of the Assembly Elections Committee, and you're listening to Look West. Today we're talking about recall reform, the state of democracy, and voting rights. Joining us for this conversation is California Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Weber. Hello, Dr. Weber. Hey, how are you? It's good to have you here with us now. It's good to be with you, Madam Secretary. For those of you who don't know, uh, Secretary Weber has been serving in this role since January of 2021. She's California's first black Secretary of State. She's also a triple Bruin. She got her PhD by age 26. Uh, Also was the department chair of the Department of Africana Studies at San Diego State University, in addition to being the assembly member representing the 79th district, uh, which includes the city of San Diego. Uh, Also with us is my predecessor in the elections committee, assembly member Mark Berman. Thanks, Chair Brian. Good to be here. (laughs) It's it's good to be with you, Mark. Uh, For those of you unfamiliar with Mr. Berman, Assemblymember Berman represents the 24th district, which includes southern San Mateo County, northern Santa Clara County, uh, near the San Francisco Bay Area. Assemblymember Berman earned his degree in political science from Georgetown University and graduated from law school uh, at USC. Fight on. We won't hold that against him today. I appreciate the color of your tie, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I've got you here for this powerful conversation, I think I would I'll start it off with a softball. What's the state of democracy today, Secretary Weber? You know, we are uh, in the state of California working very hard to make sure that our democracy is secure, that the right to vote is available to every Californian who's eligible uh, to vote, and that we are making sure that every vote counts and that it's secure and that we are uh, free from all of the things that could possibly go wrong in voting. So we work very hard to do that. But as I've stated when I, when I was uh, recommended to be Secretary of State and nobody believed me in 2020, I said, you know, our, our democracy is fragile. When they asked why was I leaving the assembly and coming to the Secretary of State with all the stuff I'd done in the assembly. And I said, it's fragile. And, and the guy said, what do you mean it's fragile? I said, look at the things that's happening around it to attack the democracy. I said, it has to be defended. And nobody believed me at that time. And, of course, January 6th happened. And that then made people call me and said, oh, my God, we see what you're talking about. You know, we see the attacks on the democracy. They see the efforts to undermine people's confidence. And voting is central to democracy. It's the one person, one vote concept that really drives this nation. And so when we look at that, we discover that across this nation, we are fighting very hard in every state to make sure that that is a reality. But in some states, as we see folks running for secretary of states who are running mm-hmm. on the big lie, that that the election in 2020 was stolen and we see folks basically continuing to attack and many states are still counting votes from 2020 that they've counted many times before that we find that a significant number of people even in california say they're not sure as to whether or not their vote really counts Mm -hmm. and so we are really fighting to make sure that it counts Mm -hmm. that it's free that people understand the, the the power of it and that they exercise it 
So it's a big task right now. The first time I think in this nation we've ever been threatened like this with our democracy under attack. That's, that's an incredibly uh, powerful perspective. And I think I speak on behalf of all of California in saying that we're, we're fortunate to have somebody uh, with your vision and perspective in the position that you are in. Mm -hmm. Well, it's critical. It is extremely important that uh, we get the message out. And we're working hard to make sure that we do that. Um, and, uh, and every day there's a threat. Every day there's an attack on someone with regards to even in California with voting. Uh, and we've seen the studies that says maybe 40% of the people have some questions about it and those kinds of things. Uh, so we have to keep putting out the message, and we keep, have to keep working to make sure that people exercise their right to vote. I think we see every day the impact of not voting. When we see what's happening with our courts, we see the attacks on, on, on policies that we've had for years. All of those things are not only affect us, but if we've even seen folks around the world, they're talking about it all over Europe. Of, of what has happened here in terms of our democracy and the rolling back of people's rights. So we have to be vigilant. These are serious times, much more serious than some of our ancestors ever faced. Mm, I agree with that. And Assemblymember Berman, talking about the way that we lead, uh, I'm thinking a lot about participation and how mm -hmm. we make sure everyone has access to voting. Uh, and you did something pretty historic last year here in California that I think has set a benchmark for the rest of the country to look at. Can you tell folks a little bit about what that is and how that came to be? Yeah. Uh, last year, you know, thanks, Chair Brian. Last year, California became a permanent vote-by-mail state. Um, mm -hmm. And that started with an effort uh, in 2020, right when the pandemic hit. Right. Uh, and I remember we were all, we'd all been sent home, right? We'd all been sent home from the Capitol. It was April of 2020. Uh, and I remember seeing images and sto reading stories about the primary in Wisconsin, uh, which was one of, the, one of the first big primaries to happen post-COVID, uh, or I should say during COVID, and how people had it were, because of the instability, because of the uncertainty, the governor did executive order, the Supreme Court overturned it. You know, voters didn't know what the rules were. Um, but at the end of the day, voters were forced to stand in line for hours uh, to risk their life to vote. And that's a terrible, just that's a, that's a terrible thing to happen in America to have to risk your life to exercise your fundamental right to vote uh, because you were forced to vote in person. And so, for the 2020 election, we had a, a urgency bill, two thirds bill that got bipartisan support to have the 2020 election be uh, all vote by mail, with still having in person voting opportunities for people who preferred that. Um, either you know they had a preference for that, or there was a need to vote in person, and it was wildly successful. Uh, and Dr. Weber knows, uh, Secretary of State Weber knows, that we had the highest voter turnout in 2020 than we'd had since 1952, if I recall. Um, you know, uh, 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 clerks and registrars across the state said that it went really smoothly. And so we said, well, if it worked in 2020, let's make it permanent. And, and that was last year's effort uh, that unfortunately did not get bipartisan support. And, and that was very frustrating for me on an issue as important as our democracy. And I want to talk about or just touch upon something that, that Secretary of State mentioned, which was this large percentage, 40 percent, you read, of, of people or of Republicans who don't trust the election system. And that's because they're being lied to. Uh, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge that they don't have faith in the election system because their elected officials are lying to them about the accuracy and the security of elections in California and in America. And we should call that out. Uh, 
Um, because I can't think of anything more un-American than undermining our democracy. Mm -hmm. But that's what's happening on a daily basis across America and even in California with some of our colleagues here in the legislature who, who serve with you uh, on your committee who, who um, you know, would prefer to create uncertainty and doubt and fear about elections um, to try to stop people from voting. And that's, that's a really unfortunate thing. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's painful because so much effort goes in uh, to creating this process each election and so much blood, sweat, and tears. I'm thinking of Fannie Lou Hamer and mm -hmm. many others mm -hmm. to, to, to allow for everybody to be able to participate uh, the way that we do now. Um, speaking of that participation, Secretary Weber, white folks vote at a higher rate than people of color. Exactly. With, with less frequency and preference sometimes relative to, to others. Right. Uh, I think black women are the guiding post uh, on most <laughs> issues, uh, but with, with uh, higher turnout. Yeah. Why do you think that's the case? Well, I think, you know, we're breaking ground in terms of changing attitudes about voting. Uh, you know, we talk about the absentee ballot. I can remember elections where we, uh, we were beating the bushes trying to get people to do absentee, and black folks said no. Mm -hmm. No. They had been through the South. They knew people took their ballots and threw them away or whatever it was, and we could not, I could not have paid these folks to actually vote by mail. I mean, it was one of those kind of things. They promised me they'd vote. But they would not vote by mail because it was a real weird election we were trying to get done. And so this was back in the, in the early 70s. And it was just no way. There's no way I was going to get those older folks to vote by mail. And those same folks now vote by mail. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the change has, they, is there. They can see it. Um, African-Americans have, have been disillusioned with the whole political process because they vote for people who then don't, don't come back and take care of them. They don't uh, serve their communities. Now, when they think they're going to get services and they think they're going to get elected officials that will be there for them, they will go vote. They will vote. And we saw that with Obama. Mm -hmm. We saw that with Obama. when be, that, was, that was important. They were going to go vote the first time and the second time, you know. And oftentimes when I'm out dealing with communities and they'll go, oh, you already won, Dr. Webb. Don't worry about it. I said, no, no, no. You must vote. You must show them how much you love me, you know. <laughs> and not just, 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 not just tell me you love me. You got to show me. And, and in those communities, I've, I've found in San Diego, in my district, I got good voter turnout among African Americans because I was serving them. And I wasn't just showing up on election day and, you know, what I call watermelon politics. We see how folks drive through South Central L.A. with a big wagon full of watermelons and pass them out to black folks during the election. And that was, you know, and, that, and you wouldn't see them again for the next four years until they come back. And your community, meanwhile, was run down, the streets mm -hmm. didn't, so forth and so on. So when they believe that there's going to be some, some, some actual input, and they're going to see some growth and progress, they will vote. But they've been disillusioned. So we have, to, uh, we have to empower them more than just say, you need to vote because it's good. We need to empower them, and we do. And you find it with older people. They will vote because they remember what it was like when they couldn't vote. And so we're in the process in the Secretary of State's office of really educating young people about the Voting Rights Act of 1965, giving them a sense of history of what happened, reminding them of Selma, those kinds of things, and, and making voting a part of their legacy much more than somebody else's. That this, is, this was one of the, the key pieces of the civil rights movement. One was education, integration of schools. The other one was the voting rights. Everything else was just kind of done. But those were the two pillars of the, of the civil rights movement. And so we're trying to make that a part of it in, in California right now. And um, with, uh, with our schools, with all those kinds of things. And we think we will turn the tide once people see that, that African Americans can get elected. And those who get elected will serve them and serve them well.
Well, I, I think the first uh, black secretary of state is doing a phenomenal job thus far. Well, we're working hard uh, to make it happen. It, it, is, it is central to me. My parents were sharecroppers who didn't get a chance to vote uh, at all when they lived in Arkansas. So I understand that. And our house at 351 West 45th Street was a polling place in L.A. Mm -hmm. And so I walked home down the, the driveway on election day to go in the back door because my dad had transformed the living room into a polling place. Mm -hmm. and that was my legacy. That was my vision. And so as a result, my nieces, nephews, brothers and sisters, we vote in every election uh, because we have the, leg the vision of that. And I'm trying to help parents instill that in their children, that this is a critical piece for change. And I think with all the stuff that's happening right now in America, people better realize that is our power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, that is our power. For those of you who don't know uh, Los Angeles, West 54th Street, that's all the way in the cut. It's, <laughs> in, it's in the hood. It's definitely <laughs> on the hood. <laughs> uh, definitely. Assemblymember Berman, so community, communities of color don't vote at as high of rates as their white counterparts. Young people don't either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any any thoughts on to why that is uh, and, and what we have done or, or can do about it? Mm -hmm. You're Chair Brian, you're, you're a little closer to being young than I am. Uh, but but when I was young, when I was in college, when I was right out of college, uh, you're running around doing so many things. Uh, maybe you're living away from home where you're registered to vote because, you know, you, that's your permanent residence uh, and you don't get the, the absentee ballot in the mail from your parents. Uh, you know, they, they don't send it to you or you don't check your mail when you're in college. Uh, you're, you're trying to, you know, start a career. You're trying to maybe have a family and just you, you don't you don't have the luxury of time to look at a long ballot. To, and sometimes that ballot can be very uh, intimidating. Right. You open it up and you see that there's 50 people running for governor or you see that there's 20 ballot propositions and you think, I don't have the time to do all this research, you know, so I'm just not going to vote. And that's incumbent on us to make it as easy as possible for them to participate uh, and, and to, you know, instill the, the confidence that for them to have in the system. So whether it's voting by mail. Something else that we did a couple of years ago was create the ballot tracking mm -hmm. system, uh, a bill that I had, I think, in 2018, which, full disclosure, I stole from Colorado. Uh, you know, no pride in ownership. Look around the, the country and see what other places are doing things that, that are working and, and that we can adopt. Um, but it's also something that we're going to be doing, Dr. Uh, Secretary Say Weber, that we're going to be doing this afternoon is going to UC Davis and talking about making it as easy as possible for students to vote. Um, and, uh, you know, they... Uh, especially as some of these rights that are being taken away for the first time in 50 years are going to impact young people more than they're going to impact old people, frankly. Um, it's that much more important for them to, to participate and take ownership in their democracy. And so I do think, sadly, um, that the younger generation is going to come out. Well, I should say I'm excited they're going to come out in high numbers. I'm sad about the reason, uh, which is the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, and, and the first time in, in, in decades that really fundamental rights are being taken away from Americans. Uh, and hopefully that causes them to realize it's important who we elect. Yeah. It's important the decisions they make. It's important the judges they appoint. Um, so uh, I don't blame young people for not participating as much as retired people because they're a lot busier. But we need to make sure that they understand how important it is. And then we need to make it as easy as possible for them to participate in their democracy. Well, I don't give them that much opportunity and excuse. <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't give them that excuse. They can walk faster than old people. <laughs> you know, they, can, they can get to the ballot box a whole lot faster. They know how to Uber. They know how to, they know how to get what they want. Yeah. And that's what we have to help them to understand. This is, has to be what you want. 
Uh, you know, you have to fight for it. And, and, and while all the tragedies we've seen lately and it changes, it should emphasize to young people more than anybody that they have a longer time to live with this craziness than the rest mm-hmm. of us do. And they better get their behind to the polls and they better figure out the ballot. They mm. can read better than most folks. My daddy, we used to have to read him mm. the ballot. He could not, he could barely read. But he sat down with my mother the night before po- voting and he went through all those ballot measures. And he got off work shortly before the, the polls closed, but he made sure he rode in that driveway to be able to vote. So it, I don't give them an excuse. <laughs> There's too many people. I think we have to educate them about what they have. Right. And I think the, the change and the shift that they see now is directly connected to voting, and we have to do a better job of educating them on a regular basis because this is, didn't just happen overnight. This happened over the last 20, 30 years as we saw the erosion of voting and people not paying attention mm-hmm. to who's becoming Supreme Court justices and who's winning elections. People just assumed that America would always be America. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they have, we have to get beyond that. Civic education is critical. So we're now, as pointed out, as my good friend Berman has pointed out, we're going to UC Davis today to basically sign an agreement with them. We're working on one with the CSUs. We have a ballot bowl initiative where students are competing against each other mm. to win at the university. We've got ballot activities taking place in San Diego State. I just went to a whole thing where there are 85% of the students that are, that are in the 11th and 12th grade are registered to vote at schools, and we honored those schools, that 85% mm. registration. We've got that occurring across the state. We are working to make sure that young people understand that this is their America and this is their legacy. And we have to educate them about it. So I'm not going to give them any slack because they <laughs> learn every rap song in the world. They learn every song yes, they want, do. every dance they want to do. They got more energy to, to break it down than anybody else. And I give them no excuse. <laughs> None. I'm, I'm unlike you. I give, no, I give anybody sitting in America with the benefits we have, mm. even if you've been around the world and see the other things, we're not perfect. But there is no excuse for not voting right now. There is See, none. I think that is a talk softly and, and carry a big stick. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, they got to vote. They yeah. got to vote. I do wonder if um, yeah. the way ballots are coming in in recent elections mm-hmm. where we kind of have this month-long process and you're seeing the way that the later ballots after election night tend to break younger and break mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a certain way, mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if that's empowering at all to to voters who are looking because you can feel or see your impact in, in a different sense and somebody asked me this last election cycle if i thought the late votes would be young and i said i know they will because i was on the ballot in mara and i voted on election day <laughs> so <laughs> uh and so that you know there's a that was the day before a last yeah. minute right there's a last minute uh yeah. hustle that we learned in school over this <laughs> most recent generation that's <laughs> that seems to be coming out in voting but after we have a, a, a good election and we get the right people in office, mm-hmm. there are some mechanisms that can change that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And we've seen one here in California triggered a few times, I think most notably uh, with Governor Gray Davis, mm-hmm. uh, but also three members of the San Francisco School Board, mm-hmm. a recent district attorney. There have been uh, many recalls initiated that didn't qualify for the ballot. Um, Chair Berman, when you and I were getting ready to uh, transition the awesome power of chairing the elections committee it was during a a time of recall hearings and i'm curious your thoughts on that process uh where the state currently is uh, and if there's another place we should be yeah you you appreciate the the question and um you referenced some local recalls that don't necessarily get as much attention right there was the Mm -hmm. gray davis gubernatorial recall there was the 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 wildly unsuccessful attempted recall of governor newsom uh last year 
Um, but it's it's also at the local level where recalls are felt really mm-hmm. severely in communities across California, school board members, uh, you know, district attorneys, city council members. And, and so and, and we've gotten to a point where it's important to protect the recall as, you know, an opportunity for for voters to take somebody out of office who's done something egregious committed a crime or, or, you know, something of that level. But it's being abused. Uh, it, it's being abused by people who are mad that they lost an election and who want to essentially create a new election in between terms. And that's not how our democracy works. We have elections. We have, you know, time periods that you serve in office. And then, you know, you have to reapply for the job. And, and so the impact I heard from school board members in my district who they have not been recalled, but they've been under the constant threat of recall because it's so easy to go, you know, initiate the recall process. It, it takes, in some communities, as little as 10 or 20 signatures to pull papers and then create havoc in that community, create havoc for those volunteer local elected officials who are spending 15, 20, 30 hours a week just trying to make their community a better place. And so uh, I have a bill this year uh, just to make that process a more serious process that's less ripe for for abuse because when it's constantly abused then voters also start to lose faith right voters start to think well what's going on i just voted that person in and they're already under recall like this is this doesn't make any sense this is a dumb system i don't want to participate in it and so we need to make we need to you know make it a more serious system increase the bar a little bit add some some rules around accuracy and and making sure that people aren't just blatantly lying either on the, the signature petitions or even on the statements that they put on the ballot. So it's some, it's some important, impactful, but pretty common sense reforms uh, around the local recall process that I think will make a big difference in our communities. Well, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And, and I think on, on most podcasts, that would fly. But on Look West, our, <laughs> our listeners care about the details. So, okay. so what does your bill do? All right. I, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad I have some paper here. Uh, so Assembly Bill 2584. Um, is, is, is the bill to reform local recall rules. It, it had a very good recommendation by the wise and all-knowing chair of the Assembly Elections Committee a couple of months ago. Um, but it does four main things. So the first is it increases the number of recall proponents necessary to initiate the recall process uh, to ensure that the bar is not so low and, and that it can't be weaponized or initiated without some serious effort. I, what I said, I think, in committee is, you know, the, the bar can't be so low that you walk into your local bar with some buddies and you pass mm-hmm. around a signature form and you yeah. get enough signatures to, to recall some or to, not to recall somebody, but to even just initiate the recall process. It also extends existing standards for accuracy and review to ensure that false statements are not made by either the recall proponent or by the elected official who's targeted by the recall. They shouldn't be lying to voters. Uh, And what they say, um, either on the recall petitions or on their their ballot statement, there should be some level of accuracy in that, Uh, similar to the the accuracy that that other elected officials have to, um, you know, kind of go by. It provides greater transparency for school district-related recalls by requiring that petitions list the estimated cost of an election. Uh, You know, these elections are incredibly expensive, and they're paid for either by the school district or the city or or whatever the jurisdiction is. So let's let voters know exactly what that's going to mean in terms of per-pupil spending and how much money is going towards the recall instead of going towards the classroom. And then the fourth thing it does is provides greater, greater efficiency and minimizes local election costs 
by allowing more time to consolidate a local recall with a state or local election that's already scheduled to occur with to occur within 180 days. So if there's already going to be a primary or a general election, let's lump that all together as opposed to having a standalone election that could cost millions of dollars. So, um, you know, it, it's like I mentioned, I think it's some pretty common sense stuff. Um, it's gotten good support in the legislature. Sadly, I don't think it's gotten bipartisan support. I'll have to go back and look. Um, but, um, you know, my, my hope is it'll pass out of the Senate and be signed by the governor. And then I know your colleague on the uh, Elections Committee, Assemblymember Steve Bennett, also has a bill around local uh, recall elections as well that, that he's working on. So there are a couple of bills out there. That's really beautiful. And mm-hmm. I think that's important for folks to know because a lot of people have asked if, if recall reform is being done this year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it is being done on the local level. Yeah. Because, of course, to change it at the state level, we need a constitutional amendment. And while it's unlikely that we get one by Thursday, uh, <laughs> tomorrow morning, I am curious, Madam Secretary, what was this process like for you uh, in the last gubernatorial recall? And, and do you think the process uh, can and should be brought to the voters for changes? I, I, think, I think most folks would agree that there's a problem with our recall process in California. And uh, many states don't have recall. You know, they figured impeachment is a sufficient process because it has to be based on allegations and it has to be based on fact and a hearing and people should be able to defend themselves. So, and that has some validity. A lot of states have that and, and, and don't have recall at all. Only a few states that do, but most of them have a much higher bar. They don't ask for 10, 12% mm-hmm. of the voters. They ask uh, of the last election, they either ask for a percentage of all the registered voters or they have a 25% mm-hmm. so that at least there's a significant number of people who have an interest in this to basically make it uh, worth, worth it while. And so California needs to look at that. We need to probably increase it. And that's one of the problems because people want to make it easy to do. Even though when it's done and it's not done for the right reason, then it's a waste of money, people feel like. So we're in this funny, funny world. But the most egregious thing that people, uh, with regards to the recall, particularly at the constitutional level, is that um, a person, that we do the recall and the election at the same time. And that is, and that then ensures us that if we are to recall anyone, more than likely the, the people running will not get 50% of the vote. And that, and that was the one thing we were sure of with regards to the most recent effort to recall Gavin Newsom, that if, if it had been successful, uh, we knew that the one thing would be true, that if the person who was elected mm. would not get 50%. Schwarzenegger didn't get 50% when he ran. He had 40-some%. And so when you have 40, 50 people running for an office, and, and you're not likely to get 50%. And so that then violates people's concept of should we have the majority vote, that whoever's going to win should have the majority confidence of the people. And, and so our process doesn't do that. And it violates in many ways people's concept of what a fair process and a democracy should be. So there was effort to separate the two. Uh, my position is that's why we have a lieutenant governor. Uh, to step in when the governor cannot, if something happened to the governor, uh, we elected lieutenant governor believing that the person has the skills to become governor in case of an emergency. And uh, so that was that was scheduled. It's been pulled. It's not going to be on the November ballot. That's unfortunate. Um, but I think we have to begin the process as soon as November ends to really reform recall in California because it is a system that is fraught with a lot of different uh, issues. And it also, the fact of the matter is that it, uh, it costs a tremendous amount of money to get it done. 
Uh, it creates, the last one created so much havoc because it kept being extended and extended, so it was a long time for people collecting signatures. Uh, and we need to have more hearings about it, I guess, because it happened so quickly and, and folks responded to it, so we need to really have serious conversations. So our office will, along with, the, hopefully with the, with the Senate and the Assembly, will be running some hearings on recall mm -hmm. and looking carefully at it. We've, we've done some of it, and we kind of wait, waited for the legislatures to basically put the policy forward. Uh, this time we'll probably take the lead and work with them too to make sure that we end up with something that all of us can agree to that should go on the ballot for 2026 to make sure that we do some change. Because we said we were going to do it last time and we didn't do anything. And so then we end up with this flawed process that we that we are embarrassed by. And fortunately it did one successful, but um, we don't need to go through that again. We need to make sure that if we're going to recall somebody, that we have some things in place that people need to do, as well as we should have a fair process mm -hmm. uh, with regards to signature collections. I think I can speak very confidently that the chair of the Assembly Elections <laughs> Committee would love to join you uh, on those town hall and listening sessions. Yes. Because uh, I, I believe that this is important work uh, and the voters have a voice in that. Uh, my last question for you, I think we're going to close up the way we started. Uh, and I'll start with you, Assemblymember Berman. With the January 6th select committee at the uh, federal level, uh, turnout being what it is, us coming out of a global pandemic, are you hopeful about the state of our democracy and about the state of uh, voting and participation in our country? I'm cautiously optimistic. How about that? It, you know, Dr. Weber, Secretary of State Weber said it so well earlier about how fragile our democracy is, and and I think you know it's still very much on a on a knife's edge. And it, originally, the threats were foreign. In 2016, we mm -hmm. saw a lot of foreign interference in our elections. Now it's domestic, and that's so much more dangerous. Uh, and but I hope that the January 6 hearings that are really getting, to be honest, more attention than I thought they would, mm -hmm. uh, are are causing people to realize just how close we were to a. a domestic armed overthrow of our federal government. And if that doesn't get people to turn out, if that doesn't get people to participate, you know, I, I, I don't know what will. Um, and Dr. Weber said it, Secretary of State Weber said it well, I was too kind, that we, especially in California, we've given you no excuse not to participate. We mail you the ballot four weeks ahead of time. It, your envelope to return it already has a stamp on it. For you young folks out there who don't know what a stamp is, you don't have to worry <laughs> about it. Uh, you know, you can put it in the mail by election day and it can be received seven days after. You can track it in, you know, by text or by email. Um, so, you know, now it's on. Now it's on the public. Now it's on Californians uh, to participate mm -hmm. and have a say in, in their democracy to, to, to get us moving in the right direction. Because we are, we got to a real bad place. Uh, worse than I think we realized in the moment. Um, but, but I'm confident, I am confident that, uh, especially here in California, that we can get, you know, get the ship righted and moving, moving in the direction that we can all be proud of. And Madam Secretary, are you hopeful about the state of our democracy? I have to be. I have to be. I, I come from the generations of people who had no hope, like from Hope, Arkansas, where I live, was born, uh, to a place of hope. And I, I refuse to be uh, negative about it because I believe people recognize what they have and the battle that's before them. You know, I try to look at the good side of it. You know, I, I think these things that have happened more recently are, are good wake-up calls. That sometimes, you, you know, when they say the eagle has a stirs his nest to move the, 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 the softness away from his babies to, for them to be able to leave and fly. 
And I think very strongly that this is one of those situations. We have been so comfortable in this nation with seeing the tragedies around the world, seeing the, the, the overturn of governments around the world, that we've, we've, we've gotten to this point where it's just omnipotent. We can, there's nothing that can happen to us. And this whole January 6th issue, people are looking at it now and realizing just how close we came. And I'm very grateful for those who decided to go forward with this hearing and to make sure that we understood that, that, that it was a thought out process. It wasn't just some folks mm -hmm. running through the streets thinking about you know, attacking somebody. This was organized, it was prepared. This was a coup mm -hmm. by a person in office who we had confidence in. And I think most importantly, it makes us realize every person that we elect counts. It's a person who counts. They have the ability to do good and to do evil. And we have to pay close attention to the folks who we elect into office, what their motives are. We have to pay close attention to the things that they do that we think are small and insignificant, that are really rather large when they put them all together. And, and we have to recognize that the power of one person who's determined to do evil can affect the entire nation and the world. We've seen that. And so I, I think it wakes people up because we've been too comfortable, too comfortable with, with the things that have happened in our communities and around our world. And, and we now realize that it is, it's, it's going to take a tremendous effort to restore people's confidence. We, have, we know that. But I think the January 6th hearings have really made people realize that we were probably on the edge. We were on the edge. And had it not been for those folks who believed in this country, who fought back, who, who were uh, either they were mil military or police officers who refused to give in to things. It's not for those folks that had that in them to do it. Uh, it would, we would have been in much worse condition. And I think we have to continue to do that and we have to educate our children about this January 6th so that they understand that there's, there may have been a long time, but it was a short period of time in which we were very fragile. And, and I think folks need to understand that. And I believe people will. I believe people are, are going to do that. We're going to get out there and make sure people in California understand and even across the nation understand. And they're recognizing it. And we're looking for, hopefully, an amazing turnout mm -hmm. that, that is based not just on the circumstances, but based on the sense of their responsibility. Uh, that's incredibly powerful. Uh, and thank you. And that education is always uh, a key piece. Mm -hmm. I am personally very hopeful. Mm -hmm. uh, I think similar to you, Madam Secretary, you have to be. You've got uh, to be. Uh, and I think our listeners today uh, have some hope listening to you. And part of what gives me hope is knowing that I have the opportunity to serve alongside both of you. So thank you to our guests today, Assemblymember Mark Berman and Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Weber. Thank you all for joining. Look West. Our thanks to Assembly Members Isaac Bryan and Mark Berman and California Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Weber. I'm Don Andrews along with Lauren Macias. We're with Look West and thank you for listening. The Look West podcast is produced by California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west.